Students today are facing mental health challenges brought on by the COVID-19 pandemic and the financial stresses it has caused. At the same time, they're confronting a host of other issues linked to our current political and social climate. It's time for a checkup. How is UCI helping students with their mental health as they return to campus? And how does honest conversation benefit us all? From the University of California, Irvine, I'm Aaron Orlowski, and you're listening to the UCI Podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Marcel Hayashida, who's the Associate Vice Chancellor for Wellness, Health, and Counseling Services at UCI. Dr. Hayashida, thank you for joining me today on the UCI Podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So this COVID-19 pandemic has not been easy for any of us, and especially for college students, you know, who might have been hoping for or expecting a more normal college experience, um, but that didn't happen. Uh, So what are some of the national trends that you're seeing around student mental health during this pandemic? You know, around the entire country, we've really seen that students have been experiencing financial stressors, which we know are uh, just a known predictor of student mental health difficulty. Uh, And that's been really significantly affected by the pandemic. Uh, There was a really interesting study that was put out last year, the National College Health Assessment. Um, And the earlier part of the pandemic, two-thirds of students reported that their financial situation had become more stressful. Students' living situation changed as a result of the pandemic. A lot of students had a lot of freedom to come and go when they were on campus and lost some of that when they went home. A high proportion of students have been reporting that their mental health has been negatively affected by the pandemic, and that's, and that's affected their academic performance as well. Well, and you know, that's not the only thing that students are coping with right now. You know, there's other challenges for mental health. People are seeing these police shootings on the news, and there's some political violence and social unrest. What are some tips that you have for students who are coping with these distressing images and this distressing news that they're seeing on social media? Yeah, it's really kind of been a one-two punch for us, for all of us, students, staff, faculty alike, you know, anxiety, isolation, depression, coping with stress. And one of the things has also been concerns related to rallies or protests. Um, the Jed Foundation did a survey as well in the fall of 2020 that, that you know, 61% of students were extremely or very concerned about racial unrest in this country, but only 30% of students were coming into counseling. So I think one thing that we want to really emphasize for our students is to come in and talk to someone if you are experiencing some of these stressors from watching these very disturbing events on television and social media. I think a lot of us have been glued to our televisions, uh, myself included. And I, I know that I've seen some distressing video, the same video, dozens of times. You know, one thing that we can do is turn it off. Mm-hmm. I think it, it feels hard to do so. You know, when you bear witness to some of this brutality and violence, sometimes you feel like you're keeping the memory of these victims alive. Mm -hmm. It can fuel our social activism. 
it connects us. It motivates us to show up, uh, to talk to people in our communities. But it's it's difficult. Um, there are some really brutal images on social media and on television, and it isn't uncommon to find ourselves thinking about these images when we don't want to. Mm-hmm. There's this phenomenon known as vicarious trauma, right? You know, when you're traumatized yourself by seeing or witnessing trauma befall somebody else. So it's okay to walk away, to turn it off, to talk to a friend, take a walk, write about your feelings, you know, create art, create poetry, um, do something else other than just sitting there and watching it because you think you have a responsibility to watch this over and over again. Well, and you mentioned that you would encourage students to, you know, come into the counseling center if they need to. Uh, May this month is Mental Health Awareness Month. So what is the campus planning uh, around Mental Health Awareness Month? Well, so we are, it's still May. And so I think in the fall we'll be physical. So when I say come in, I guess I just mean virtually come in, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, do a virtual, we're doing lots of, of uh, telemental health appointments. That's hundred uh, percent what we're doing. May is, is, again, as you said, Mental Health Awareness Month, and it's so crucial to our well-being. And the Counseling Center is um, doing lots of different things this month. Whenever people are listening to this, uh, some of the events may have passed, but they're doing um, uh, programming around college mental health in the time of coronavirus. That's virtual. Uh, improving your, it's called Improve Your Snooze, which is <laughs> Uh, a collaboration with the Center for Student Wellness and Health Promotion around sleep and getting better sleep. Tuesday, May 18th is a virtual mental health screening day. So it's a way to just get some feedback about, you know, whether your symptoms are perhaps cause uh, for some additional intervention. And then there's a really lovely program that's called the Virtual, a virtual Art of Healing Showcase. Hmm. It's an art show and a panel discussion. And so we've, we're encouraging folks to submit original artwork that we're going to showcase um, on May 20th. So uh, lots of really wonderful things are happening. Last thing is that we're doing, uh, we call it QPR training. It stands for Question, Persuade, and Refer. And that's our suicide prevention training. And uh, people can sign up for that. Uh, throughout the academic year, but that's also happening this month so that you can take a training to figure out how to ask folks if they're thinking about harming themselves, how to ask the right questions, how to persuade them to get help, and then how to refer them to the appropriate services. Well, that is a a full slate of activities and, and programming for students to take advantage of. Why is it important to take this time out of the year and have a whole month dedicated to mental health awareness. Mental health is just so crucial to our well-being. It's, you know, it's tied to our physical well-being, to our relationships, to our ability to work, to learn. You know, one common symptom of depression is concentration problems, right? And so if you're a student, the ability to concentrate, to learn, to remember is so crucial. Um, it, it affects our ability to, to parent, to function in society. And, you know, the truth is some mental health issues literally can become deadly, right? We know that some students, again, live with thoughts and desires to, to harm themselves. 
So lots of people live rich, full lives as they deal with mental health issues. But so many others suffer in silence. They think that they're alone, that their issues are untreatable, that they should feel shame or embarrassment about how their brain works. So Mental Health Awareness Month reminds us to take our mental health as seriously as we take our physical health. Right? It, it reminds us to engage in frank conversations about how we're doing, how we can support each other. I believe that increasing awareness can help decrease stigma and let people know that there's hope and there's help. Yeah. And as I mean, as you've been saying, it's a challenge sometimes to talk about these issues and to be open about it. And, and I think especially for people of different ages, they tend to view mental health differently. So, you know, I guess two questions here. How, how do people of different ages, in your experience, talk differently about mental health issues? And then secondly, what can we do to reduce that stigma that you mentioned about talking about mental health? You know, I think that, so the, the generation of college students that we're seeing right now, traditional age college students, call them Gen Z, right? Or iGen. Um, there's an author, Gene Twenge, who has written a whole book about iGen. And uh, they're much more open often with their parents. I think they're in many ways a lot more fluent in the language of feelings, right? They talk more openly about their relationships. Some of them, right? Not all of them. You know, we've seen people talk a lot more freely about, well, my therapist said this and they, and they, uh, they recommended I do this. And uh, so I think, I think the younger generation is a lot more fluent in and, and open to talking about their mental health, uh, taking mental health days, right? How important self-care is. Um, I think these are things that, that older generations were not talking as openly about. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's really been kind of cool to see social media influencers talking about what advice their own therapists have given them. That's just now a more normal thing that you'll see social media influencers posting on their sites about, my therapist said this. There are whole podcasts about therapy now. So there are, I think there are just some really beautiful efforts to normalize help-seeking, which is really wonderful in this, in this younger generation. You asked about stigma. Uh, what can we do to reduce some of the stigma of of having a mental health issue? Or I think the first thing that we can really do is is having conversations about it, mm-hmm. talking about your own anxieties, your own concerns, particularly regarding uh, the pandemic and returning to work or returning to school. Oh, you know, you too. Yes, me too. It normalizes it. Uh, a lot of us, you know, walk around thinking that we're the only people who are nervous about returning or that that must be, you know, unusual or abnormal. And we find that when we just start talking about uh, our own concerns, that it just breaks the ice and everyone kind of relaxes and says, oh, me too. And something else I would recommend is that when you, um, you know, so many of us have conversations with people and we start a conversation with, hey, how are you doing? The other person says, yeah, I'm good, fine. And you move on to the reason for the call, right? I would recommend that we just take a breath and really listen to what's on the other end. You know, how are you really doing? And if someone says, yeah, not great, don't just, oh, well, that's too bad. That's really unfortunate. Well, the reason I called is, right, take a second, take a breath, listen. Maybe you make a recommendation about, oh, you know, I, I, I've 
been taking a walk. Would you like to take a walk with me? You know, when you hear that somebody is seeking out therapy or that they're taking a medication or that this is a rough road in their lives and they're trying to figure out what to do, you know, praise them for their honesty, praise them for taking this step in their health journey. Don't just gloss over the how are you doing conversation. Try to make people understand and realize that it's okay to not be okay, that we don't have to be optimistic all the time. Uh, there's this thing I've been reading about lately called toxic optimism. Hmm. We don't always have to be excited and optimistic about everything. It's okay sometimes to be struggling a little bit, to acknowledge that maybe today is not a great day, that somebody else's day maybe isn't so great, and then brainstorm about what we can do to get some some relief. It sounds like one of the lessons there is that, you know, if someone asks me how I'm doing and I'm thinking about whether I'm just going to say good and move on or whether I'm going to say, you know what, actually today has been a crummy day. I'm not necessarily burdening the other person. And in a certain way, I'm actually, by sharing that my day was crummy and whatever, for whatever reason, I'm actually giving them the freedom to be open about how they're doing. Absolutely. I think that's just so important to, right? We think that opening up is going to burden somebody else. And in fact, it may just give them permission to also acknowledge that, you know, that our lives uh, online are often so carefully curated, right? Mm -hmm. That we pick the most flattering angles and that we want to just picture the most delicious food that we've just about, that we're about to eat, and everything is beautiful and glossy, and we look thin, and everything is wonderful, and uh, and I think those are some of the reasons that some of our young people really are suffering in some ways. That that all that we tend to see, particularly now that we're we've had a whole year of really not being so close to each other, some of the only things that we see are are these carefully curated images that make everyone feel like. Everyone else must be having a much better life than I am. And when you admit and you acknowledge, yeah, no, that's uh, that's angles and lighting. And today was actually really rough for me. I think it does give permission to then brainstorm about how we can make it better together. Well, as the you know, as the campus prepares to fully reopen and and students are getting ready to to come back to campus, how is the the Office of Wellness Health and the Counseling Cluster preparing for students to return? So we are getting ready. A lot of the things that were really important during the pandemic will continue. Happy to say that. Our student health center, for example, um, pivoted really rapidly to telemedicine. And so you can speak with a psychiatrist or your physician in the comfort of your own home. Certainly some issues will require an in-person visit, but so many other things can be done from your dorm, from your apartment. So telemedicine will continue. Uh, same thing for the counseling center, telemental health will continue. So people will be able to continue to get uh, some of their counseling services wherever they are. We're thinking about altering some of our spaces to get a little bit more room in a, in a waiting room, for example. To There may be some modest increases in staff, right? So I think we're anticipating um, what we call an echo pandemic. So after the coronavirus pandemic, people are talking about this echo mental health pandemic. And so we, we want to make sure that we have a sufficient amounts of, of mental health counselors, staff, to make sure that we can accommodate what we believe will be an increase in services. 
the Disability Services Center also reports in our cluster. I think we're going to see a few more requests for disability accommodations as well. So we are preparing to um, absorb a few more requests for accommodations. So I do think that we are talking a lot about, um, well, for another example is our counseling center did get some very particular uh, continuing education around working with uh, Black clients, around really making sure that we are serving our African-American student population with the the latest uh, techniques and making sure our therapists are up on on all of the ways in which our, our clients' identities really show up for them in the in treatment. So I'm, I'm looking forward to really welcoming all the students back where we're able to address so many of the concerns that have arisen because of the pandemic, many of the concerns that have arisen because of our social climate, and then the normal regular concerns that are just part of being a college student as well. Well, and those are all the, the resources that are affiliated with UCI and, and for students, but what about some of the more uh, national resources or other local resources uh, that are available? Where can people find out more information about uh, what's available there? For students, there's a Center for Student Wellness and Health Promotion. You know, I think sometimes people think, well, I'm not sleeping, so I better get a therapist, or I'm I'm not sure about my substance use. Maybe I, am I drinking too much? I'm not sure. I better go see a, a, a therapist. There are actually other resources on campus that can assess and, and talk with you about diet, sleep, about um, all kinds of, of health-promoting behaviors. So the Center for Student Wellness and Health Promotion is, I think, a phenomenal resource for our students. Faculty and staff, of course, you know, our EAP services, we have actually a, an in-house psychologist as well who can do very brief therapy with faculty and staff. Obviously, student health. We have social workers. People, Some people don't know that we do have social workers on campus as well who can deal with other psychosocial stressors, uh, food insecurity, housing insecurity. Again, many of the things that have been disrupted due to the pandemic. Uh, of course, our own counseling center. Free, that's the word that I want to use. Um, <laughs> you know, People sometimes think, well, I have to use my insurance and it'll show up and my parents will get that bill. And the counseling center does not charge. Um, there's no bills that would go to uh, to a student. And they do relationship counseling, individual counseling, groups, after-hour support on the evenings and weekends. Um, some, Again, some services will continue to be telephonic uh, or video, um, but some will be in person as well. And then nationally, that I want to give people the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. And that's a number that you can call again if, if you or if someone you know uh, is contemplating suicide. It's something that we often don't like to talk about. We think that if we mention it, people will do it. But it's a, a phenomenal national resource. The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline number is, again, can be found online, but it's 1-800-273-8255. Really important, again, to be frank and open about uh, the fact that some people have those thoughts as well. Uh, I've been really impressed by the National Alliance on Mental Illness, um, NAMI, N-A-M-I. Um, so they, they have got a web website with a lot of fantastic resources. And then a couple of other things that I like personally, there's a, a great website called Therapy for Black Girls. I happen to be a black woman. And so this is really important for black women, again, to normalize help seeking, to try to bust the myth of the strong black woman and that we can discuss mental health topics and get help 
tailored to the needs of Black women. So Therapy for Black Girls is another uh, kind of shout out for a, a website and a resource that I like as well. And we'll make sure to include all these, you know, the phone numbers and the the links to these websites in the in the show notes. Um, so that'll be on the news.uci.edu website as well. Uh, and you'll be able to track down all that information for our listeners. And so, but sometimes, you know, someone really does need to to seek out that therapist. Um, what are some of the signs that a person should be paying attention to, you know, in themselves or in a, in a friend? that they really do need to, to find a therapist? So there, there are a couple of categories of things that maybe you want to keep track of, maybe in a journal or a diary. And um, how's your appetite? One sign of depression might actually be obviously being sad and tearful and crying, but appetite more than normal, or maybe your appetite's a little bit less than normal, right? Sometimes we react to grief in different ways. Sometimes some people eat more, some people eat less. Sleeping, another really important thing to think about and track. Are you sleeping more than usual? Or have you been sleeping less than usual? Um, another sign uh, of depression sometimes. Um, obviously, you know, we talked about being sad and being tearful and crying. Maybe what's one of the more obvious symptoms of, of depression. But maybe a less one, a less obvious one is activities that you used to enjoy. Do you still enjoy them? Or have you found that they're just not giving you the kind of the pleasure that they used to give you before? So playing music or dancing or spending time with friends or watching movies, if the things that you used to really love and that used to give you a pleasure suddenly don't anymore, it could be another sign that um, might be good to get a, a, a checkup. In the same way that you would get a physical checkup, might be good to get a, a social emotional checkup. And then, as I said before, too, we were talking about trouble concentrating, another really important issue for students, that that can be another symptom as well, that if it's used to be able to kind of read a page and retain the information, and now somehow you're reading pages two or three times, and you're still not quite understanding what's happening, any disruption in in concentration may be another sign to go get a checkup. I think many of us will say, well, yeah, you know, today I feel sad, or I cried yesterday, and but certainly anything that, that interferes with your ability to be social with your friends, anything that's impairing your ability to work, you find yourself not being able to get up and go to work, get up and attend class, things that are impairing your ability to work or to be social with people. It's another thing to, to really get uh, checked out. Well, Dr. Hayashida, I hope that you know this conversation has... Uh helped with reducing some of that stigma that we talked about earlier that people can be open about these issues and be free to to seek that help and to be willing to to go and do that rather than sort of hiding it i really hope that people are able to to take that to heart absolutely so thank you for uh, joining me today dr hayashida on the uci podcast thank you it was a pleasure The UCI Podcast is a production of Strategic Communications and Public Affairs at the University of California, Irvine. Please subscribe to the UCI Podcast wherever you listen.